You know me as Ash Williams, the hero who saved Elk Grove from evil. For 30 long years, I've used this saw on monsters and demons. But those battles are won. So now I use it to... Slash prices! Better than a handful of my nuts! <laughs> a long screw. Uh... Whoa! <laughs> we got wood. We got rope. We got rubber. We got it all! Die, high prices! <laughs> Goodbye, high prices! <laughs> Perfection. And only 22 takes. Welcome back. Yeah. That's looking good, Hippie. Marketing 101, Pablo. Know your audience. Listening to a podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is the fear of God. It's been a long few years. I have gone on many adventures, conquered many a monster had many a conversation. We've done plenty of things here on The Fear of God. Now we want to welcome you to another installment, the granddaddy of all installments, the grooviest of the groovy, complete with chainsaw and boomstick. We are covering, here on The Fear of God, Ash vs. Evil Dead, the TV show that you have come to know and love through these last few weeks, the TV show we have come to know and love. Who is we? My name is is one Mr. R. Reed Lackey. Typically with me is one Mr. R. Nathan Rouse. And he's not always, I mean, normally he's here, but he's a bit indisposed at the moment. The fact is, he got caught sideways of a bad duster, and now he is wandering some wilderness dead-eyed as can be. He's got this white, glassy-eyed thing. And so as soon as we're done having this little conversation, I know what's going to happen. It happens all the time. I'm going to have to crank up the boomstick. I'm going to have to gas up the chainsaw. I'm going to have to fire up the Delta, and I'm going to have to get out there, and I'm going to have to kill that man. Uh, it's, It's always a hard day around here. It's always a hard road. But in the meantime, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to go to your podcast uh, displayer of choice, leave us a rating, Leave us a review. Uh, There's a special reason to do that if you've done that recently, uh, but uh, we'll get to all of that a little bit. Oh, hang on. Everybody be quiet. Don't say anything. Don't say anything. He's here. Just be quiet. Maybe he won't see us. Maybe he won't won't know we're here. 
Oh, Reed Lackey! Oh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Where no. is our Reed Lackey? Oh my gosh. I'm gonna take you to Choklahoma City. <laughs> this is a new level of stupid. I think oh. I'm gonna truncate a lot of that. Well, you know what's hilarious? What's hilarious about that is like, one, not only are listeners in total disbelief that both of our first initials are R and not, you know, no and, and more than that, that our first names aren't our proper names, um, or <laughs> rather the names we go by. And two, I don't know if you meant to do this, but holy cow, you've got a penchant for killing me. Um, <laughs> it's, it is a thing at this point. It is a thing. Um, it's a full blown bit. Yes, it, it, absolutely. it is. Absolutely. I, I, I need you to say, no, that was intentional. And I was keeping with a bit and not, that was just a subconscious urge. You are. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's definitely not a subconscious urge unless, uh, that subconscious urge just exists. You know, I mean, I don't, maybe I need to. Right. Know. That's what <laughs> I'm, that's what I'm trying to identify here is, do we need to talk? <laughs> no no it's just uh it's the natural thing i mean we cover you know we cover horror we cover you know that's uh, there's bodies there's bodies everywhere there's bodies afoot there are bodies afoot <laughs> Reed. so so, so you've, okay you've addressed, we gotta get to stuff yeah yeah you've addressed this contest while i was in deadite land um so the contest is officially over as of this episode which is exciting we've had a great time Thank you to all of you who have posted. Thank you to all of you who have left new reviews. Thank you to those of you who have submitted your original reviews. Thank you to those of you oh, who have already so bought merchandise. Read. How is it? Could you? Come on. You like all this? It's so surreal. It is. Yes. Like, it's so surreal. People posting. It feels boastful and self-indulgent to comment on this, but it's just such a hell of a lot of fun that there are people out there wearing the the t-shirt of the fear of the official logo uh, provided by jacob hunt of jacob hunt comics jacob hunt you're awesome all of you who have bought things and are posting them and wearing them are awesome this is this is it is awesome this is, is an amazing feeling it's really really wonderful and yes uh very very humbling very exciting and uh thank you all uh very 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 much Yes, so that is the business. Um, I guess we ought to, in the spirit of, you know, just just sort of keeping things moving, uh, pose the question of what you watching, <laughs> <laughs> what you reading, what you listening to, listening to. Yes, indeed. What? <laughs> wow. What are what what am I? D uh, well, uh, I have something, but I I don't know. I kind of want you to go first. What are you watching? Is my real that's that's the burning question I wake up with most mornings. Is what is our Nathan Rouse watching, reading, and or listening to? Well, our Reed Lackey. Um, one, I need, <laughs> I need to read and perhaps listen more because I feel like all we do is watch stuff. But um, this is really the predominant answer <laughs> to this question. Um, that was a low-key way to tell you that. But um, <laughs> just as a quick drive-by, um, we did finish season one of Downton Abbey. Um, we have moved into season two, War Has Come to the Abbey. Oh. Um, the oh Abbey my. has been converted into a convalescent home for uh, soldiers you know, who have been hurt. Um, and mm, the, remember that. the tensions are rising between um, Miss uh, What's-Her-Face Crawley, played by Penelope Wilton, and, um, you know, the Dowager Countess. 
Uh, everybody. Shinty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the finale of season one is really painful when Miss O'Brien, you know, causes Aww. causes uh, uh, Lady Grantham to slip and fall. If you recall that, it's like yes. it's like super terrible and sad and tragic. And I don't know how O'Brien survives the series as long as she does. Um, I agree. Yeah, but anyway, that's uh, that's Downton. So just wanted to to throw some uh, love uh, the Downton way. I will say this: I'm not going to spend much time here because i know you haven't seen it yet we are several weeks along from when this is being recorded but i did an hour ago get home from watching spider-man far from home um, dun, dun, dun. yes i did have that experience i took the big kids um dude yeah it's good is it great it's quality is it, great? it is quality oh. and honestly i had a buddy who's a bigger spider-man fan than i am um and to be fair i think i've referenced this before like at this point in my life, I'm a bigger Miles Morales fan than Peter Parker, but I do love, oh, sure. I do love, I, I think Tom Holland is the best casting and, and between Homecoming and Far From Home and Civil War and of course, Infinity and Endgame. But like, this is the best treatment of Peter Parker we've ever gotten in terms of film. Um, That's awesome. But Far From Home, one, like, again, I'll spoil nothing, but um the the two teaser i'm sorry the two credit sequences are about as consequential as they've done in quite a while like it's really throw you know kick the ball down the field type stuff <laughs> throw kick punt <laughs> just the toss, ball's moving we don't know how toss, it got there, bunt, yes. yeah yeah roll dribble um <laughs> you know move a spheroid of some kind <laughs> From one <laughs> section to another. Um, but the, the post-credit scenes are great. Um, I will give massive props. They just friggin' know what they're doing. And it is... Mm -hmm. Like, in terms of just the MCU machine, it is just amazing. So, this awesome. this doesn't spoil anything, but, you know, all these questions you and I had betwixt ourselves and our little pod bros convo, like... Oh, sure. I, I, I give total props to the fact that barely half of the movie is addressed in in the trailer and and that's oh, kind of all there is in terms wonderful. of spoiler yeah uh yeah it's really great um it's a remarkably timely movie for our moment in culture it's it was wow. yeah it was really i was by about by about the three force marks like holy cow um they're doing like topical stuff in this massive superhero movie and it's really impressive so wow. yeah definitely definitely awesome. worth uh swinging your way along to um, I'm trying not, I'm trying hard to stifle any sort of commentary on one of the post-credit scenes. You just have to go see it. Um, oh, so yeah. Awesome. awesome. Those are my drive-bys. So, Do you want to? Yeah. So why not? I, I thought that cause, uh, I figured there might be a way for us to sort of, uh, share some mutual, uh, conversation about this. Cause we haven't really talked at length about this, uh, yet. Just a few words over text, but I took my family to see one Toy Story 4, the fourth installment in that uh, legendary uh, Pixar Studios uh, flagship, if you will, flagship franchise. Um, so, yeah, do you do you want to chat a little bit about Toy Story four, and then maybe I, I've got a uh, I'm going to credit you with it because it was your suggestion, but I think we should I think we should do it a little fun idea after that. You want to dive into that? I would love to dive into that, my friend. Like, cause, so, cause like Monsters Inc. of a month ago, when are we ever going to get to dive deep on Pixar <laughs> and Toy Story with our general content? 
Of course. Well, and it does feel appropriate that, like, somehow, for the fear of God, Pixar has been inextricably linked with Ash vs. Evil Dead. Like, we covered <laughs> Ash vs. Evil Dead on Monsters, Inc., and now here we are talking about Toy Story 4 on the Ash vs. Evil Dead episode. So it's just all, it, it all works. It's, it's just all there. Um, so here's my initial thought on Toy Story 4. Um, I, uh, I should lead with the fact that I thoroughly enjoyed it very much liked it, possibly, and definitely about some aspects of it, loved it. Um, don't know if I'd be ready to say that I loved it overall, um, but I definitely highly enjoyed it, really enjoyed myself. Um, but I do feel like it's pretty different in... Uh, I don't know if tone is the right word. I think it's interested in different things than I feel the first three Toy Story movies were interested in, and that took a little bit of adjustment for me. And still, I am still adjusting to it a little bit. I think a rewatch will probably sort of firm up uh, a lot of the things that that I'm sort of feeling with. But I did enjoy it uh, quite a bit. But uh, it was it just felt very different for me. Um, I don't know if you want me to get into specifics or if you want to share your thoughts on um, your experience I'll, of watching. I will generalize and then together because we we belong together, we can drive you know kind of dial in a little more directly. Um, so. <laughs> Two two kind of overarching notes here. One is um, I adore, though it's been a while since I've watched it, so I'm speaking to at least my last experience of and definitely the, the theater-going experience of, I adore, adore Toy Story 3. Um, it did astonish me oh, to yeah. realize that was nine years ago. That's insane. Is um, that crazy? And, yes. And a little, oh, a little depressing. Um, but since <laughs> that time, I say this for myself, by no means is the shine gone for me and Pixar, but I do approach entries with a little more reservation. Uh, skepticism is too strong a word, but like, whereas once I would have just unabashedly been like, okay, give me what you got. Let's do this. This is going to be amazing. Now I'm more like, okay, we've had some great times. We've had a few bad moments. Let's just sort of see what you got. Um, yeah, I gotcha. So, so that's a general Pixar note, but then also specifically on Toy Story 4, um, I saw it a week after it opened, which is a bit lengthy, uh, wait for me, but my kids were out of town. I really wanted and, and intentionally wanted to wait on them. So we, the, I, myself and the two older kids all went and though I knew nothing really of the narrative, <laughs> Uh, what little headlines I'd seen literally ranged the spectrum from one end where it just said meh, M-E-H, uh, huh. all the way to masterpiece. Like wow. that was okay. the swing in terms of people's reception that I observed even in just a little casual fashion. So I, I was you. like, okay, well, awesome. That is actually really good because, <laughs> you know, um, that's a really, there's a lot of room to run between those two poles. Um, right. Of course. So, of course. and, and you'll know this when the first trailer released, it's interesting. Marketing has already come up once with a Disney property, but when the initial trailer released, I was like, I just don't know. I mean, I think Toy Story 3 is so vacuum sealed on, you know, kind of vacuum seals that property. So I thought in a way that is very treacherous to mess with. Um, yeah, and my skepticism meter goes up in eras with the monsters used in finding Dory's, which I'm ambivalent on, but 
you know, so, so the, the sequel and I mean, heck, even on Monsters Inc, we didn't address the notion of the Cars movies. Like I, I have nominal appreciation for the first Cars. I have little to none for the second. I didn't even bother with the third. So like you've got this last decade of these kind of swings and wild misses. So I'm just going in ready for just like, okay, let me just see. Um, so I, I kind of want to see it again before a strong statement on, on certainty or, you know, a strong kind of, here's what I think of the movie on the whole, but I am, I am happy to report that I was much more invested in it by the time it ended than I expected to be. And that's a, okay. And that's, and that's a, that's a good feeling. And interestingly, uh, piggybacking on the Monsters Inc. conversation, since four has released, and since we talked about Monsters Inc., I've shown our two-year-old uh, one and two. She hasn't seen three. Um, so, so the characters are, have become a little more present again in our home and our conversation. And I, right. I did have this weird feeling, and we can sort of use this if you want to pivot into more uh, concrete stuff. But like. It was fascinating to me watching the Toy Story 4 film, especially by its end. Now, if you want, we can unpack that some. But I really, if if the movie itself was at a 5 or 6 out of 10 for me on the whole, the, the last kind of 10 minutes uh, pulled it up into maybe 8, maybe even 9 realm. Oh, um, wow. Just, I just really loved thematically what they did. And, and it, what it ended up doing for me was really sparking this like, holy cow, I, I would not. So Toy Story four, or I'm sorry, Toy Story. The first one was in 94 or five when I was 14, 15. So like, I wasn't a child when these first came out, but it's weird in a real tactile way to look back and be like, man, I've really spent a lot of time with these characters in a way that has really invested me and can almost track a bit of thematic resonance along these characters' journeys in a way that I didn't, I would not have registered before the fourth entry. So yeah, it really, yeah. it really kind of did a lot for me in that regard in a way that I was not expecting. Can I speak to your note about its synchronicity or not with the previous films? Sure. I uh, I but, can't remember if I how concretely I made that note on this pod or if that was part of our previous conversation. Um, did I? You referenced it a yeah, minute oh, ago, yeah. but feel free to dive yes. in a little more if you want. So so I will I will set you up for a response just with this that like to me a a sort of overarching through line of the first three films, although certainly not the only theme that they're interested in, is this sort of welcoming in of community. Uh, among the toys that are all sort of united by, uh, you know, their child, whoever their kid is. Uh, Andy for the first three films, and then at the end of the film uh, pivots to Bonnie uh, at the end of the third film. But uh, that always felt to me what the, you know, the the very premise of the first one is Woody's Andy's favorite toy, now Buzz is in, and so the whole film feels like, okay, so uh, we're going to integrate Buzz into uh, this sort of being a toy and belonging and all this other sort of stuff. And then the second one, similar thing happens to Jesse and Bullseye. Um, and then in the third one, uh, it, it, it 
pivoted for me particularly or highlighted for me particularly when Woody chooses not to go with Andy to college, but rather chooses to stay with the rest of the gang uh, in uh, Bonnie's care, you know, like sort of belonging to Bonnie. So this one, at least at first viewing and at first response, sort of initially felt like it was pivoting away t- from that. And I'm not even expressing this as an active dislike, but uh, it just... it. My wife and I made a couple of jokes about this where, like, the Toy Story 3, over the credits, the song that it's playing is We Belong Together. And so we made the joke coming out of Toy Story 4 of, like, well, we belong together un- until we don't. <laughs> so it was just, that was one thing where it's like, uh, you know, I, 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 that was one thing that I was struggling with a little bit to sort of get on the wavelength of what uh, Toy Story 4 was after. And uh, we should say, like, Prepare for a little bit of spoilers if that doesn't hasn't already tipped the hand, everybody. Yeah, check the timestamps in the in the show notes and skip ahead if you don't want Toy Story Four conversation. Um, you know, it's interesting, and and I in in pondering Ash versus Evil Dead, uh, mm. remar- remarkable sort of tie in here. Like one of the takeaways, I would, I, I think you've got some decent thematic stuff to come, but so I'll just brush up against this and then tie it into toy story is like the notion of character maturation of characters Uh, maturing past a previous version of themselves. And, and, and I think that is something that just massively impressed me about toy story four. And now who knows Pixar when they are on fire are master storytellers, just, just absolute masters. And so there's a world where they could surprise me uh, again, but uh, it, it feels like, there's if 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 three felt vacuum sealed this feels like industrial strength hermetically sealed i don't know like i, I don't know <laughs> i don't know how you do more in this world specifically with these cast of characters at least a few of them so i'm going to post something to you because i've been thinking about this film a lot and and sort of how to kind of compartmentalize some of these feelings and uh as a as a slight sort of encouraging note on how to how to align how to harmonize these uh, across four films. Go with me here. This is a rather reductive um, sort of descriptors here. But to me, the first film is a question of who are you? Okay. Like, okay. Buzz, Buzz enters the story. He's wrestling with an identity thing. Who are you? Okay. I'm going to inform on who you are. Toy Story 2 pivots that, uh, puts it in the mirror and it says, well, who am I? Okay, now, now, who am I supposed to be? Who was I? What is my history? What is my place? Uh, which yeah, is Woody, gotcha. Woody's journey of discovery and revelation of his own personal history. Um, Toy Story 3, kind of in sync with what you are after there, is a bit of a question of who are we? Okay, so there's... Right, there's, right. Who are right, you? Right, who right. am I? Who are we? What What is our purpose in relationship and community together? hopefully and maybe this won't be as profound to you as it was to me but as i've sort of assessed these sort of real pithy questions here i get to four and the question becomes who could we be and Mm. and i think that really is an impactful powerful sort of take on what this movie does like but once once the stitching started to become evident to me of where this movie might go i really started to get I need you to I need you to recognize these this language I'm using get woven in stitching wo- woven um, <laughs> sure sure to what they were doing and I'm sitting there like 
not day, not 48 hours before watching this movie, my kids were still out of town. I was pondering to my wife about parenting and kids growing up. And, and I told her, I was like, I don't want to be that unhealthy helicopter parent when they're 16, 17, 18, 19 transitioning out. But like, I am worried about me when that time comes. Like, like I can see mm-hmm. down the lane of life and be like, I'm going to be a friggin' mess. I'm not going to be okay. And I don't know that that's really healthy. I'm just articulating it. So, right. I mean, once, once the ground got laid for where Toy Story 4 went thematically, I was like, oh my God, I am going to need to plug this in or plug into it multiple yeah. times in the yeah. coming years. Cause it's all about like what, what are the healthy attachments? When do those healthy attachments become unhealthy attachments and who do we become in light of that assessment? You know, right. I think it's this right. beautiful pivot in the narrative of the character of Woody to go from, I am purely and solely singularly attached to this one individual child to releasing oneself from that duty and obligation because it has become toxic and unhealthy into, well, now a purpose is much grander, much more universal in terms of help and health applied to others. And I thought it was a really beautiful sort of take to the point that the, the final to infinity and beyond, I'm like blubbering, like, Oh my Mm. gosh, this Mm. is beautiful. It's a really, I don't know. For me, it was a really beautiful kind of takeaway. Now, and, and it's, I do find that a very lovely notion and I feel like it's right there in the film now. And then again, perhaps a rewatch will, uh, sure, sure. Substantiate this, but I see, I wrestled a lot with the fact of, I know at the end, uh, they the, the sort of Woody's new gang is all running around, uh, like setting, you know, hooking up toys with kids. Like that's what they're doing, and that's an outgrowth of their little adventure. But I didn't feel in the moment that that was why he stayed. I feel like he stayed specifically, like to be with Bo, to sort of not have to live this angst and this this, like you said, the the unhealthy attachment thing and uh and i just i wondered about that uh again just wondered what i what i immediately resonated with with toy story 4 was coming to that place where you're like okay well now there's now it's time for a moving on if you will or now it's time for me to you know to uh to not feel so much of the you know the obligation that i felt uh before um, and then it just, I don't know, it, it just struck me as a, a bit of, I see, I'm resisting using the word selfish because selfish has such a negative connotation to it. And I don't even think that sometimes you need to be selfish. But I really, I really struggled with, not that I even disliked Woody's choice, but does it feel contrary to this we belong together idea. And that's, that's all I was just sort of trying to wrap my head around. I think your pivot and your takeaway is really uh, worth considering because unlike things where I would feel like people are stretching to try to make what they want out of it, I feel like your theme is absolutely there. Like, it, it, like I look back and I remember certain lines or certain moments from the film and I'm like, no, that, it, that is absolutely the, this idea of like when to let go and move on from unhealthy attachments and what can we be in light of when we're not defined by what used to define us and, and all of those sorts of lovely ideas. 
I just struggled a little bit with the yeah I, I just struggled a little bit in the moment with like oh well this these friends he's he's le- it essentially felt in that one moment like he's leaving all these friends for this one friend that he hasn't seen in a long time and that well was, and I, yes and I, uh, I think I understand how that could feel like the takeaway and both of us have only seen this once I think and I know I've sure, sure. and so some of it's going to be hazy but I would rest in what seems to be the theme of the film, which is kind of assessing and or ultimately redefining one's purpose uh, in, in, right. in view of a more healthy right. thing. And, and I think the better takeaway isn't he just chooses to stay with Bo. I think it's right, his act, right. his active participation in um, uniting that lost child with in this case gabby gabby to bring not just joy but comfort and security is a dawning and sure, revelation for sure. him it 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 transitions his and his purpose from singular one child comfort to a universality of i'm going to facilitate joy and and comfort and security and not lostness for children and and i don't know that's a really beautiful right because right. now they're touring with this kind of carnival aspect and kind of are in position to be able to i don't know that to me was a stronger takeaway than simple now the bow aspect is helpful but that's just because he's appealed to by what her life holds and and then couple that with that what i'd call universal kind of you know comfort bringing is really really sure. powerful so yeah i mean yeah toy story yeah, four I do, I do feel the impulse that I well, and I ab- absolutely will be watching it again at some point. And so when when I watch it again, uh, I'm I'm going to be very attuned to okay, how now that I know what I'm in for, how do I feel about this? And I'll have uh, one Mr. R. Nathan Rouse's uh, thoughts bouncing <laughs> around in my head uh, as I do that. Well, you're welcome, Mr. R. Reed Lucky. Um, <laughs> well, I had thrown at you, so I, I, honestly, I, I will give some credit here. I cribbed this from listening to the Toy Story 4 conversation uh, on The Big Picture, which is a podcast as part of the Ringer Network. So I was listening to that, and it was two hosts doing their top five Pixar movies. So I was like, you know what? That could be fun. And I threw to you, hey, why don't we do this? And here we are. So it is funny. I did assemble these in what could loosely be a one to five, but you know, depending on the day, depending on the viewing, they may, <laughs> they may, sure. one may go up one, one may go down one. Um, so... Just know that this is where I am at midnight on July second <laughs> of 2019. Of course, of course. On this, do you want to go? Uh, As I go bottom, do you bottom go, to top. You want to do fifth? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So we're gonna go uh, bottom to top. Um, I'm I'm probably have, gonna be very. Do you, sur- do you have any honorable mentions? Um. Let's. We'll get there. Yes. We'll get there. We'll get there. No. Let's just uh, no. Well. Yes. Okay. So number five for me is The Incredibles. Interesting. They, so, they are yes. they are my honorable mention. Okay. Ah. Okay. So yes. So uh, we don't have to spend a total time unpacking this, or we won't have any time for Ash versus Evil Dead. But yeah, wonderful superhero film uh, at a time where superheroes were not saturating the market as they are today. And uh, yeah, so delightful for me. Number five, The Incredibles. It's possible that for me, The Incredibles, because uh, I think it's a great movie. Uh, it's a heck of a lot of fun. It's incredibly well realized. It is possible that my saturation with the superhero world means it's more of just a superhero movie than like sure, an yeah. amazing standout. So I wonder if that's the case. Uh, my number five as of midnight, July 2nd, 2019 um, is up, <laughs> actually. Ah, that is my number four. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I really, 
really wrestled with its placement, not to put it there in the top five, but exactly which one it was going to be on. Right, um, right. And, and in fact, like I said, tomorrow it could be a number three. Um, <laughs> so what is your number four? Uh, it's up. Up is my oh oh yeah you so, didn't just say yes, that sorry yeah. so no 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 that's okay but yeah uh, and and honestly like I still I am very affectionate to the Carl and Ellie story um, I feel like ninety percent of Up's power and beauty resides in the first ten minutes and that moment when he discovers the adventure book like that's the or like where he goes and Ellie's like you know. Uh, go have another adventure. Right, right. I feel like 90% of what is powerful about that movie resides in those interactions. Uh, and then probably the remaining, like a remaining 8 or 9% is Doug, the character of Doug. Sure. <laughs> um, and then uh, the rest of it feels, uh, feels painful to say this, feels a bit uh, uh, formula. But those moments, those elements are so outstanding that it, puts it into the top five at number four for me yes it's funny that's why it's at five for me because i couldn't weigh i was like okay how much am i waiting those first 10 minutes um but i I will say this i adore the carl and russell relationship they're hysterical to me it is Um, yeah it is good it is really good uh what is your uh, i haven't said my four yet see god see four to two are all like almost interchangeable could jumble Um, yeah right now i'm gonna tell you what's written down okay um right now my number four is wally oh wally is an honorable mention of mine i have wow. three honorable mentions all right and wally is an honorable mention. i i love wally i mean it yeah. is Wally's a, great. it is a breathtaking film um i don't i love how it does what it does a little more than what it is if that makes any sense sure um but it's just it's impressionistic um and just really lovely and those characters are so indelibly designed yeah i love wally what's your what's your uh, number three my number three is finding nemo um i absolutely adore the the just there's something finding nemo would have probably been in the lower half of a top 10 um for a long time soon as I became a father, for the very first Father's Day, my son wasn't even old enough to watch a, uh, you know, like to recognize. He was still uh, very much a baby, um, but I watched uh, Finding Nemo and something about, you know, being a new dad and then the story of this dad. Uh, there's some faith stuff tied in about like, you know, searching for the lost and all that other sort of stuff. Just Finding Nemo strikes very, very many chords with me. And so I love it. And it's number three for me. That's so interesting. Like, I only have two honorable mentions on here. If I were to add another one, Finding Nemo would be one of them. Because I, mm. I, it's funny because I knew I was like Finding Nemo is gonna be on Reed's top five. It is not. Gonna yes, be on it mine. is. <laughs> um, I, what's weird is like I don't even know. I think Finding Nemo is a great movie, but I, it just hasn't. Um, I think Dory's a great character. Um, yeah. Uh. I, I, I think structurally, I find it a little odd as I assess it. Like, you know, it's about you know marlin is so non-integral over the life of the movie i don't mean the yeah. what, the runtime of the movie but dory and nemo are literally like never together so it's just an interesting sure. structure yeah, yeah. um so yeah anyway I, I think fun nemo is really good it is not on my top five my third and this is resonant exactly with where i am in life right now is monsters inc i think it's uh yeah i yeah, think yeah, it's yeah. i think it's great i think it's hysterical uh it's got enormous heart 
And yeah, I love it. So that was my Monsters Inc. is one of my so you've you've mentioned two of my honorable mentions already. Monsters Inc. is one of mine and Wally is number, is one of mine. Uh my so, my second place is a cheat. Um, um well I uh if we're going this order, I apologize for uh, uh inserting my honorable mentions in there. My number two is you ready? Uh-huh. Inside out. That's my number one. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. yeah. Inside out. Oh my gosh. Just the the everything about it, its maturity, its its loveliness. Uh that was the first film that my son saw in the theater. Um and uh it's just yeah, it resonates I'm so ki- powerfully to me. I'm kind of scared to watch it because I don't want to it's it's it is like an orb. It's like a memory orb in for me. Oh, sure. But like sure. The, if I watch it too much, I'm going to over expose myself to it but it's i get that it's so sort of like wally but dials but where wally is almost exclusively impressionistic um Mm -hmm. inside out is not just impressionistic in that it just does narratively what you never would have imagined is possible but also is so just monstrously emotionally charged um like i I, you know, not just, I mean, again, we can talk about, I, I can clearly talk about this for quite a while, but like not, <laughs> not just character designs, but characters like Bing Bong. I mean, that's, a, that's an all time great, like out Bing, of the Bing Bong is my favorite character. I mean, uh, that's, that's yeah. a Pantheon in, entry right there. Like, you know, so you've got Bing Bong, you've got the emotional resonance, um, goofball islands, you know, loss is like, I mean, I, I blubbered in the theater during that movie. Like, it, yeah. was, it was a mess. Oh, so, yes, yeah. it's my number one. Uh, my number two, and then we can get to your number one, unless you have other stuff. No, I, no. I, I sort of coupled together Toy Story 2 and 3. Um, partly okay. because it's been a while since I've watched 3, so I'm, ba- I'm ranking it based on memory, which is extremely strong. But I also love Toy Story too. So, so of you know, course, if of I course. if I rewatch three right now, it might change a little bit. But that's I, I couldn't like I couldn't figure out how to do it. Yeah, so I was like, no, I understand. Screw it. I'll just put both. Of them. I understand. Well, I did a similar cheat. My number one is I literally looking at the note right now. My number one is the Toy Story films. Gotcha. That's gotcha. that's what I wrote down. And and I basically was just like. There are ways in which things about the first one still ping me as, you know, even up there above certain things about the others. Um, If I had to, if somebody was like, you can't cheat, you have to pick one, I would pick Toy Story 3. But um, in general, like, they all kind of feel of a piece to the degree that I would be like, yes, no, my number one is the Toy Story films. That is Pixar's, you know, that's where Pixar began, and that is their, uh, you know, the thing that I keep coming back to as most profoundly resonant to me um i did just in, you know on the way out the door um i did mention or honorable mentions my three honorable mentions were wally monsters inc and a bug's life wow um, yeah i would yeah. not i mean i think bugs like was fine but i would definitely not have put it yeah even there's something 10. yeah there's something about it that i just really uh i, I really enjoy still even after all this time i threw what so, my only other honorable mention i didn't mention honorably was um <laughs> and pot and i actually deeply respect this movie oh i think i know which one you're gonna say and in many ways love it for some reason haven't 
responded to it quite the way the population has that that does respond to it well is coco um mm, i gotcha I, that wasn't what i thought but yeah what what do you think i was gonna say um i thought you were gonna say either brave or ratatouille oh yeah i think brave is yeah. fun and good and a great little adventure story and sure, great characters right, right. um it's fine um i i don't respond well i i love what's at the heart of ratatouille i don't love the movie at all like it's fine i got it's you good. no i got you mm-hmm. anyway we we could i could keep you need to stop me okay so so, so what you watching now what <laughs> you reading to what you listening to i don't know the 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 That's last right. part of that That's okay. i feel like i, I still in, i still invoke it's i'm grace tired. grace on grace <laughs> no 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 grace grace on grace for you brother i mean my two oh, my two-year-old just in the last 48 hours uh, the words Jesse, Woody, and Buzz Lightyear have entered her her lexicon. So I'm, that's I'm, so wonderful. Yeah, yeah, that's it's, so it's, wonderful. It's really awesome. So I feel a bit sad because oh, no. on uh, well on one well on one hand we are having this full extended conversation this this continuation of Funny or Die, uh, but at the same time because we're getting into it we're actually uh, leaving or we don't have you know a TV guideposts segment because. The entire piece, the entire pod, is on Ash versus Evil Dead, and so uh, it's true. I don't know, I, uh, uh, so there's there's a bit of a there's a bit of a of a ping there that's like oh I just uh, oh there it is there <laughs> it is what at, le- at least at least we got at least we got a little bit of that music in so that's uh, <laughs> that's that's great that's great <laughs> I'm so glad that happened <laughs> thank. Thank you, uh, producer uh, Ray Racky. Now, sure, oh, no, yeah, yeah. We, we fired him. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, so you what about the memo? Red, like yeah. Red Lacay. Red um, Lacay. Because all Lacay, I all I know is Nathan Rouse had Rouse. no idea what was happening right there. <laughs> 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 all right, yeah, Reed. Yeah, we aren't just covering TV Godposts. We're living it. Um, That's exactly right. So we decided when we, uh, just a brief bit of setup, we decided when we were going to cover Ash versus Evil Dead, as we have done for so many of the, uh, well, we did it for Haunting of Hill House, we would cover a few episodes at a time. It's three seasons of material, 30 episodes. And that landed us with this broader conversation where we were actually going to be covering six episodes in a pocket. We're going to be talking in brief about our likes, dislikes, about six episodes of Ash vs. Evil Dead and then getting into uh, some thematic stuff and uh, perhaps some broader conversation. We'll see where things go. Um, but before we do that, Nathan. Read. Do you, here's what I think might be kind of fun. You you actually had this idea. Um, I think I yes-handed you with a secondary idea, but uh, why don't we just, looking at the scope of this series, uh, for listeners who maybe are only tuning into this episode, you can go back to the previous eight episodes and hear some specific conversation about three episodes at a time, starting with season one premiere, all the way bringing us up to the episodes that we're covering today. Um, but looking back over the series of Ash vs. Evil Dead, I feel like there are a couple of things that just keep popping up um and i think we would be remiss in the evil dead conversation to not mention a few favorite kills uh do you have maybe like a top three of of favorite kills in the season or in the series as a whole well reed if i had been taking real diligent notes throughout the series i would have had a much better list instead i just had to (laughs) (laughs) had to go off of memory um oh no problem so yeah i've got a i've got a few one uh, I'll start with my third from my my 
three of one, two, three. So in ascend, sure, ascending sure. order. Um, the third one is just the Wiley Coyote Florida girl. Um, you know, just oh the, my the, gosh, she's great. The lower half just slipping and sliding in a pool. Oh my own, gosh, yes. Trails. Yeah. <laughs> what about so you? Funny. What's your, what's your third? My number three would be when uh, Kelly. Uh, you just ki- taking out all of her frustration at being brought into the deadite fight on that deadite in the diner where she's using yes. the thin slicer Yo, to just like yeah, grind yeah, yeah. it down. Uh, that is one of the and even Ash and Pablo are looking through the window like, oh my god! <laughs> so I just think it's wonderful and uh, yeah, it's great. That's my number three. I'm going to man. I don't know if you have one of these on your list, but it just clicked with me and that's all right. I want to cheat and throw a. Two and a half in here. Okay, um, I, I ain't gonna, I ain't gonna my, hurt you. My two and a half boomstick you. Um, now see, now I'm trying to weigh it against one of the others on my list. Um, I will. Okay, I'll go with what's on my list and then incorporate it. So next up would be the uh, swirly decapitation in the bathroom stall in front of Ash's dad. <laughs> I think that's, that's for, great for pure, just audacious, disgusting. I mean, just, oh my God, you know, you've got yeah. oh, absolutely. a human body upside down with its cranium in a, you know, in a public yes. latrine that you then decapitate. That's just disgusting. <laughs> Believe it or not, dad, this is my day job. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my number two is pretty disgusting, but one of the most memorable uh, deaths in the entire run of the show. And that's old harp face. Yep, Rachel. There you go. There you go. Yep. That's just, um, that was the one I was thinking of. Oh, yep. So, heart face Rachel, uh, Ash, uh, basically taking out that deadite possessed friend uh, by slamming uh, a harp, like stomping on a harp over her face, and just the the effects there are just the harp, the stringed instrument. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. So yes, heart face Rachel is my number two. Uh, my number one is actually in kind of tandem there, uh, and also is a bit of a cheat. But I said both. Candy's deaths. Uh, <laughs> yes. Candy yes. that were reintroduced or were introduced to for the first time as Ash's former lover that is now his baby mama. Um, <laughs> she is, as a normal human, killed by way of a, a Captain America throne symbol, C Y M B A L, that, that, <laughs> that not only slices her fingers off, but decapitates her. Um, and then not maybe one or two episodes later at her funeral, um, she has a wrestling match inside of a locked coffin with Ash as a deadite. So, and of course he ends up, you know, taking her head off in that scenario too. So both of those are kind of my top one. I hear that. Well, my number one is actually... It's a it's a death that uh, that I actually don't love that happens, but it's the most memorable. And I don't know, it's it, it winds up being the one that I think about in the context of this show, and that is old Daddy Brock Williams getting run down by the Delta uh, oh, yeah. as he's about to deliver the uh, you know news that's going to unravel the fabric of being. <laughs> Fresh Williams, and then just getting run down by the Delta, and Ash having to like shove his brain into back, <laughs> trying to shove his brain back into his body. Um, so hilarious. yeah, that's my that's my number one is uh, Brock Williams going down uh, by the Delta. Um, 
so uh, before we you know dive deeper into these specific episodes um that actually the idea of sort of going through favorite kills was your idea i yes handed you with uh you want to mention and we don't have to rank these just maybe sure. mention two or three of them of uh some favorite lines from the show because we've mentioned along the way just some some really great uh one-liners but uh, yeah just a few favorite lines if you will you want to go sure i mean i think like i, I don't I don't envision scenarios well where I will choose to use this in real life, but um, <laughs> as a pure example of what this show was capable of scripting-wise, introducing me to the word hoochie macooters is just—I mean, you like you can't—I mean, like, what are you going to do? Hoochie macooters, hoochie macooters. That's amazing. So that would be one. I'll throw one other at you, and then let you have a turn. I wrote down. Um, I'm pretty sure this is in the sequence of episodes and scenes at Ash's house in his bedroom um when Pablo first starts exhibiting the the what's going to turn into these emblems these you know kind of glyphs oh right um, right yes and i think Pablo refers to it as a rash and Ash just says oh, yes. oh, I, i've had rashes in my armpits, on my gonads, on my butt crack, on my butt cheeks. It's just, it's just, it was one of these first like laugh out loud kind of lines, frankly, because I just like hoochie macooters think the word gonads is a really funny word. Um, yes, yes. You know, so yeah, that was, that was a really funny line. Um, here's one that I always go back to that I just think is really, really funny. Hey, Dad, uh, how high minded is your podcast? Oh, it's so high minded. <laughs> it's like gonads and hoochie macooters. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly no. What we, what we do is we talk about faith and we talk about gonads and hoochie macoos. Right, right. That's, those are really those are those are the things. Those are that's all of it. What a great uh, podcast. Um. Okay. So one of one of mine. I just have uh two or three here, but one of mine is uh in the first season when uh, they're right outside of the bookstore and it's the first time that the trio of Kelly, Pablo and Ash are starting to bond. And then Ash looks at him and says, all right, look, we get this done quick enough. We might have time to stop for churros. And look, that's not a racist thing, Pablo. That's just a great dessert. And Pablo looks at him and goes, you know, I'm not Mexican, right? And he goes, that's the spirit. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the the wordplay they get out of, Pablo's lineage is pretty hysterical sometimes. It's so funny because it's the drink of my people. He's like, what? (laughs) Um, You'll you'll never be like me because I'm legal. (laughs) 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 He barges into Brock's house and Brock's like, you got a green card, kid? That's the first thing out of his mouth. It's so funny. Um, I have one more uh, that I'll mention right now. Um, I'm, I'm actually hoping... Act, oh no! Okay, I think I might be stealing one of yours to do okay. this, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a different one. Um, this is an exchange between he and Kelly. Um, Kelly says, "What's a Lillian Pendergrass?" And he says, "That beautiful creature right there. I'd know that caboose from anywhere." She says, "Are you having a stroke?" <laughs> he says, "Hey, you say that now. Back in the day, Lillian Pendergrass was a smoking hot former gymnast turned phys ed teacher. You know what I'm talking about? She wore those tiny little polyester shorts. You know, during the summer when you find that perfect peach." And Kelly says, "Your next words better be the end, or I will shoot us." both me first (laughs) i just think that whole exchange is really hysterical that was not on my list at all (laughs) no i skipped i skipped one that i thought might be on your list that's really funny you started going then just kept going i'm like i don't see this anywhere Um, no no i skipped i actively skipped one and if you don't have it then i'll i'll share it um 
I love I Can't Fart Without Tripping Over That Book, and I fart a lot. Wait, first. That's the one I skipped first, That's the one I skipped <laughs> First things first, and then he farts. Yep. Exactly. It's a, I was literally looking at it, and I was like, Nathan's got that one. I'm going <laughs> to do this. I'm going to do this one. Well, thank you. Thank you for I letting me take I always trust you the, to have. Yeah, yeah, the gonads yeah. and the farts. Yeah. <laughs> and the hoochie-wickers. Um <laughs> The other one, the other one that I wrote down uh, is is just uh, it's just so stupid. He says I'm going to be like a ninja losing his virginity, quick and discreet. <laughs> wow, I mean you you reference this one. We're almost done. I promise you reference this one last week. I just love. I wrote it down in the moment. I may suck balls as a father, but I will not. <laughs> but I will not let evil take that away. Brandy, I meant, or my balls. It was just a really great, really great moment. Um, oh, so next, next, the last one for me. Ash Williams doesn't know the meaning of a lot of words, but he definitely doesn't know the meaning of the word fail. Um, <laughs> and then I've got one left. Do you have any more? The the last one that I have, and I actually didn't write it down. I'm just it's coming to me in my mind. It's like I'm not drunk enough to know if this is good weird or bad weird. I'll get there though. <laughs> <laughs> well, Where he's talking with the two. Uh, the I think it's a mom and a daughter who want to like. Oh, can I can I feel your chainsaw? And he's like. I'm not drunk enough to know if this is good weird or bad weird, but I'll get there. <laughs> wow. say, hey, say it again. I'm not I'm not <laughs> drunk enough to know if this is good weird or bad weird, but I'll get there though. I did it. All right. So my very last one, you said pick one liners and while yes, technically this isn't a humorous one, it is a one liner and is a nice fitting coda to pivot us into other places. I wrote mm. Pablo, you're the jefe now. What a fantastic line. It's great. Man, what it's a fantastic great. line. It's great. Like, the look on, I, I'm going to mention this later too, but the look on Ray Santiago's face yeah. when when Ash tells him that. Like, it's just, I mean, I, I really dig that guy. I, I haven't seen uh, that actor in anything else, uh, but I, I do want to seek him out. I really think he's uh, really think he's outstanding. The, yeah, but the, the look on his face when Ash says, you're the jefe now, I just, I, I can't even with that moment. Like, it's it's so great. It's really, really great. All right, you ready? Um yeah, let's go into some specifics. Uh, we'll start by uh, passing by the crib uh, and go into old baby proof. Um, so we're going to be covering the last six episodes of season three, beginning with baby proof, which uh, <laughs> for most of its runtime is Ash versus oh my a gosh. toddler version of himself. <laughs> well, oh, let man. me let me let me read you my notes real quick. So. Okay. This this features one of the crowning achievements of this show's <laughs> gonzo insanity um, for what it does on screen. So um, to to set up a little bit here, uh, we referenced last week with Meredith. Shout out, Meredith. Thank you. Um, the hitchhikers that uh, Ruby picks up while she kills and then, um, you know, feeds one of them to her her ash replicant uh yeah. the the other one is this swedish gal she keeps locked up ash frees the swedish gal but the swedish gal ends up decapitated and the baby occupies the decapitated body's orifices and and pokes its lip <laughs> po- pokes its little baby head out of her neck so what i wrote is oh my God. of this episode okay there's there's weird then there's pablo face on kelly's leg weird Okay, that's that's, one, that's true. That's one note. Yes, that's wrote, true. Then I wrote, there's creepy. Then there's monster baby leaping around with monster face creepy. <laughs> okay. And then I wrote, there's super creepy. And then 
there's Monster Baby crawling up the crotch of a dead, decapitated gal and popping his little cranium out her entrailed neck. Super creepy. That ain't right. <laughs> that ain't right. That ain't right. Read. That, right. that was an exercise and that ain't right. They were <laughs> like, right. if we had to build a column of things that would people would describe as not right, here's your list. <laughs> that ain't that ain't right oh, oh my no, gosh no, no one of the things i love so uh yes I, I i feel like we can probably move on from there you've you've hit all the highlights which i, I don't mind one of the things that i love though is that when he opens up the trunk at the end and the kids in there and then i love this it's like a quick fire reaction the kid the kid says he hurt me and then ash doesn't miss a beat he goes should have well Uh, i I mean it can't go without saying that creepy creepy nasty organic chainsaw hand oh my gosh yeah it's yeah oh my god yeah it's pretty grotesque hey to before we uh, because we'll probably come back to some stuff like that Uh, there's a really great acting moment for dana de lorenzo when pablo comes back to life and uh i just i just felt like it was a really nice moment uh, for her to so show some beats other than annoyed at something Ash is doing or tough. Sure, um, sure. So it was just, uh, it was really, uh, it was, it was really cool. I just like this. That this episode also, as a final note, gave us brand new astonishing ways to use some bowling balls. <laughs> um. So moving on, episode three point six. <laughs> moving right along. Tales from the Rift. Indeed, Tales from the Rift. So. This one is a tough one for me. I can remember when I first watched it. And at this point, you know, we've we've taken some characters out of the show that never came back. Uh, poor Cold went out for Officer Fisher. Um, then we've taken some characters out that then do come back, uh, sometimes in, in heroic ways uh, with efforts of our leads. But uh, Kelly taking on Ruby directly... Um, there. I think their fight is great. Their back and forth fight. I sure. think it's 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 a really just it's a great fight because Kelly gets some real major hits in. Uh, Ruby gets the upper hand a few times. Um, but I did get a little gut punched uh, the first time watching it, and this time through I was prepared for it. But I got a little gut punched the first time watching it through when Kelly gets killed. It was not uh something that I expected the show to do. Being the third season, I I thought maybe maybe she'll be gone. Maybe this is it. And, um, yeah, so I got, yeah, well, it's funny. Cause I had the opposite reaction. <laughs> You're like, She'll be back. She's a main, she's a main character. She'll yeah. Well, now don't get me wrong. I think the fight is great. I think the attempt at raising the stakes is strong. The two major seeds that forecast that pretty directly. Well, the, the, the two sides of that coin is one, you know, when in a, episode or two previous ruby's talking to the disembodied kaya or whatever she is in the other realm i'm like i'm gonna get you a host i'm like oh well, that's gonna be kelly that's how they're gonna use her in the uh, final, right, final run right. um and then two so so her getting killed there wasn't that surprising and then two pablo's bisected body surviving the series taught me oh no you're not gonna <laughs> we're not gonna lose these guys <laughs> gonna, yeah right, exactly. yeah so yeah. so honestly it was a little anticlimactic for me in that moment which I, i'm not trying to take away from you because i actually think it's a really well done moment um sure i just sure, I understand i was like oh i i guess you know mm-hmm. um that said i put xena putting her body back together after the grenade is nasty oh my gosh that ain't right that ain't that right, ain't right. No, that ain't right. That ain't right. Uh, 
You know, okay, so here's, so uh, while that is happening, while Kelly and Ruby are fighting, then the Knights of Sumeria are off. Like, I do love that, like, Brandy and Ash are finally bonding, and then Ash just, without a second thought, goes with these Knights of Sumeria to wherever, (laughs) just leaving her Brandy there. But my exact note that I wrote down is, these Knights need better training. (laughs) Because I feel like they're the Knights of Sumeria. Oh my gosh, they just get plowed down by everybody. Like they are they it's like the Knights of Samaria are supposed to be like this big thing. Every single one of the Knights of Samaria uh like dies some horrendous death. They were somewhere in the show. You know they're, what's funny is it reminded me of um uh I, I love ninety nine point nine percent of the TV show Lost, but it reminded me of the um the off island crew arriving with John Locke's body. Um, oh, right, you know, right, it's like right. we're introducing this whole like extra layer of mythology that ends up as a character grouping, not really meaning a whole lot. You know, it's yeah. like oh, it's exactly there's really exactly. nothing there. Um, <laughs> go ahead. I just put, I was just put, but Demon Marcus that comes back out of the rift reminds me a lot of John Carpenter's The Thing. Like, that was that was, that was a really effective monster. Oh, it's great, and it, uh, presumably the prosthetics needed for that display were very problematic for the crew. Like they obviously they made it work; it looks fantastic, but um, but it was it was really difficult for them to execute that. You know, I don't have many dings on this show other than just the ramping up to finding their footing in season one. But we referenced this last week the the like forced insertion of mythology and heavy mythology in a real abrupt fashion. I don't even know that I'd call it bad. It's just a real adjustment. Um, sure. Yeah, I understand. In a way that like, I think one of the things I did do some reading on Wikipedia on the series after I finished it. And I can't quite remember in terms of like, you know, sequence of green lighting seasons and stuff like that. But the, second or almost all of season three feels like okay we know we have an end to the series and let's just establish whatever we need to to kind of get to our finish line versus where i think this show really sings is in a little bit more of that monster of the week low stakes kind of stuff gotcha okay you know what Mm -hmm. i mean yeah um like i kind of i can't remember i'm thinking I feel like in season two, well, season two is ball and he's not interesting at all. I, <laughs> I, 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 I so love the monster design of the show and, sure. oh, and yeah, ultimately kind of would have found you, you could have milked another two or three seasons, three might be stretching, but another two seasons of just kind of monster of the week type stuff that the, that the characters right. run into. Um, and with this creative team really pulled off some pretty exceptional stuff. So, so that's, that's a compliment and a sort of like, I guess maybe I don't mean it to be a backhand, a compliment. It's a compliment. It's a compliment to what the show does well, which is, is its own production design. Uh, but here at the end, when they're just shoehorning this Knights of Samaria stuff in, um, you get kind of like, uh, okay, whatever, just get back to fun stuff. Right. Right. No, I, yeah, I get that. And, and, and feel, you know, pretty much that exact same way um now uh, did you have anything else on tales from the rift nope um so we get here into the next episode called twist and shout now i had said last week um that overall the start of season three is a bit weak for me there's some clunky elements to it i love season two 
just almost beginning to end. Love season two. Um, and then season three starts off a little clunky for me. It is in the episode, for me, it is in the episode Twist and Shout that things begin to really uh, take a turn to back to the things that I absolutely love about this show. I love Twist and Shout. I referenced a couple of times w- when we were talking about season two, the DUI episode, which is Ash versus the Delta. Right. And then uh, the episode called Ashy Slashy, which is, uh, you know, Ash and team versus ball. Um, so I really enjoy those episodes. I love those episodes. Twist and shout would be right there in the top three or the top five. Um, I love it. This is the one where, uh, there is a duplicate ash that has now been formulated and birthed, uh, a, a grown up looking ash. And he goes on this murderous rampage in, uh, like a high school prom a la carry, if you will. And uh, Ash, the real Ash, must find a way to stop him. I love, love, love this episode. Ash versus Ash is nothing new, not only to the series, but to the franchise. Ash versus Ash is, is kind of a thing. But this particular matchup is my favorite, and it's probably because of all the things that are going on around it. Like, sure. Ruby is executing this plan. Kelly is now possessed by Kaya, and they're trying to turn Brandy against Ash, so you've got stakes there. This version of evil Ash is much more calculated. Um, he's not brutish and uh, and sort of bumbling. Uh, he's he's very precise in the ways he's trying to sort of undermine things. And, and so I just love that about it. I love, like, when Ash shows back up, he's got this chainsaw revving, and then Ruby, in an effort to try to make him look bad, like, throws herself on the chainsaw. That's a, and he's a, that's got a so, great that's a great line when did you start liking this <laughs> when, <laughs> when so she's great. impales herself on it yeah this whole episode um i'm scanning my notes here like i, I wouldn't really have anything negative and in fact before you explicitly invoked it i was like well the reason you love this one reed is because it has such a um patina of carry all over it you know it is it exactly is, it's exactly. it's very much but it is also kind of a cool resolution to the high school story thread that starts in the with the, mas- is, yeah. the, the mascot and, and it's it's really effectively done and and to your point about um the ash versus ash type of scenario like at least in my memory of them this is one that really feels like it has high stakes in terms of brandy's involvement yes. you know yeah oh absolutely um, yeah there's something to fight over and fight for and they kind of on paper it's that way with season one with uh uh officer fisher but we no, we don't it does not work we don't <laughs> yeah no we don't connect to officer fisher um i do love the line it's what real ash says to him before he blows him away he says hey good looking get out of my jazz <laughs> I yeah i love that line and then when he hits him he blows the top of his head he's like hey you missed <laughs> Right before just completely getting obliterated. I just think it's funny. <laughs> it's funny, um, Reed. You're funny. It's funny. Um, okay, we have three more to get to. So do you, do you have any more notes on Twist and Shout? I love that episode. I'm good. Yeah. So let's go to Rifting Apart. Rifting Apart feels a bit like a transitional episode to get us into the, you know, ramping up toward the finale. I did write down, <laughs> I cackled out loud when, so Ash in this one, does something he's never done in the franchise. He kills himself with the Kandarian dagger so that he can enter... I jokingly wrote in my notes that it was the Upside Down. So he can enter this, like, mid-region, mid-realm thing and bring back Brandy and Kelly. Um, And then when he arrives, 
that night of Samaria, Dalton is there, and <laughs> he's saying, like, yeah, I wouldn't leave you guys behind. He said, the jury's out on Darwin here. <laughs> and, then, and then immediately Dalton, like, kneels and says, one for all and all for one. And I just, I, yeah, I cackled. I thought it was really, really funny. I did write uh, Dalton. It was, it was it was pretty awesome that Dalton, like, sacrifices himself for it, too. That was kind of a really cool moment. And then I only have one more note on it, uh, so and then I'll, whatever you have for it. I wrote, the Delta is back, baby. I love when they drag down the Delta, but the classic just comes right back up. Yeah. Kelly could not hold the Delta down. I love it. That's great. That was good. Just a few quick notes. I do love Kelly's line. I'm always glad to see that indestructible blue shirt come to the rescue. Uh, That was (laughs) great. great. Um, Maybe, at least in an honorable mention of top uh, top kills, is the Deadite and the Paint Can Shaker. That's pretty nasty. That was crazy. Pop, and then he's, oh, yeah, and Pablo's like, it's El Brujo Especial. <laughs> I just think, oh, it's like, oh, Well, he also says the B word after that, but you left that off, and that's part of the punch I, I, of that line. Well. And you, you were like, I'm I, done. I don't with, criticize then, your line. And then, well, <laughs> well, no, no, but you also, I also don't say I'm done with mine, and then take one as you're staring at it. I'm just playing with you. <laughs> but you, you you were, you were like, I'm done with my notes. And then I was literally about to say the Bruno line. And you're like, oh, and that was great too. But I still, I'm, I still love you. I'll still do the podcast with you. Reed. Fine. fine, um, fine. <laughs> 3.9 judgment day. <laughs> um, yep, exactly. Oh, they are messing that, that girl up. That's nasty. That She's having a bad day. That ain't right. <laughs> that ain't right. I will, oh, I will say they, they do a good job in this last run. I thought the upside down monster was pretty effective looking, just the kind of smoky kind of oh, it's design. Creepy looking. And the dark ones themselves, that's pretty effective. It's, it's, it's a did good they look. remind you of yeah, did they remind you of Dementors? They did me a little bit. Um, a little bit. I can see it. I can see it. Yeah. Um I um, think I think they were smart production wise to make them just fully enshrouded with no real like, you know, don't yes. don't over CG them, you know. I don't need all yes. that. Yep, agreed. Um, I did note the uh, I put thumbs up for Brandy's cell phone. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, that's a that funny pun. Yeah, I uh, I do love the when he starts to say once and for all, and they all say it with him. <laughs> like once and for all, he's like, okay, 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 I mean it this time. Yeah, I just think that's funny. Um, well, did and you then? Did you skip? I mean, I love the whole scene of the shed and Brandy. That was great. Oh yes! Oh no! Absolutely. Um, I feel like that cell phone thing is a real clever thing. They were they were actually uh, actively trying to take Brandy in a similar sort of arc or, or narrative uh, path that Ash had had. Um, so right. like she almost you know she visual visualizes cutting her hand off with with a saw in you know, a chainsaw and everything. And so uh, yeah, it, it 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 is cool the way they kind of connect them. Like I, I think I had mentioned this last week as well that the Brandy and Ash relationship takes a little bit of adjusting to get to, but I do feel like it pays off well. By the time we get to this episode, yeah, I I personally I'm on board for Brandy, oh yeah, um, and and I'm on board for Ash as daddy, and you know like so just they've they've at that point endeared me enough to those characters and their interactions that I'm I'm on board for whatever I'm about to see. Right, I did. Uh, it it we we got a. Give some shout out here to Pablo finally letting his hair down after three seasons. Uh, <laughs> when he's when he's in the rain, it's like, oh, there you've got a it, it you've got a fall. normally shaped human head. <laughs> <That's really laughs> funny. Um, Pablo still has a flat top. That's great. 
<laughs> you know what is funny? I uh, I don't have, and and this is worth noting. Other than the Kelly versus Ruby fight, like Ruby's like one of the big bads of this season, and uh, like I think that whole Kaya and Ruby plotline is not no is not that great. By the time the Dark Ones come and get her, get them both, I'm just like, okay, well that's done with that, and that's kind of a shame for that character because she's so interesting in season two. Um, and does some, you know, adds a great foil to everything that's going on. But uh, it, it, it's it's a minor ding at worst. I do feel like the character is a little underserved in this season. But again, that's a that's a minor uh, ding at worst. Um, all right, you you ready to go in to to test the metal of man? Let's do it. So sincerely, I don't know. So so before we talk about this episode, Campbell announced on Twitter following the cancellation. Uh, following the cancellation announcement by Stars, fans uh, started to petition for bringing it back, and then Campbell announced on Twitter, "No, I'm I'm retiring that character. Like officially, I'm retiring the character." Maybe there was some awareness of that and some emotion infusing it, but there's some great stuff we're seeing from Campbell. Yeah, some like great emotional stuff. Uh, the the scripts are really strong, uh, and and it's like you really begin to see some growth for this character. And uh, that whole scene where he's sitting in the chair and it just sort of expressing all of these things about, you know, like, why did it pick me? I, and then and breaks down for a second. It's like, yeah, he's a failure. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it's it, it's really great stuff. Really, well, very good and stuff. and I, I we shouldn't be negligent here and uh, quick, quick, quick pivot back to three point nine. We do need to pour a cold one out for the chainsaw. Oh yes, that's right. That's yeah, exactly right. Yeah, yeah. old but, Ruby demolishes that chainsaw. But um, but yes, back into the Medal of Man. Like I do, I agree with you. I think what is just generally kind of a fun horror popcorn series, you know, really serves this character well in its last run. I mean, it's it's really oh, I couldn't it's, agree more. It's really a great, you know, because um. Maybe for me, at least personally, because I rarely take the show and or the Ash character too seriously. I'm never like annoyed or like frustrated with him for being so kind of self-serving because it's more just kind of dopey, incidental kind of, you know, base level pursuits. So it is really great when, you know, you, you do get to visualize and get to see this real concrete, tangible growth occur for this character, yeah, absolutely. you know, a lot of people have followed for 30 years at this point. It's pretty cool. Oh, absolutely. And culminating in, you know, his his goodbye to his friends, you know. Uh, again, just some really great stuff from Campbell. There. Will, you remi- Will you remind me, did you watch, uh, was any of your watching of the series week to week? Or all of it? Uh, all of, all of it was. Oh, wow. I watched I watched the entire series week on week. So I was I, I mean I was a little bit emotional sure. in that finale. I was uh, because it did feel I, I think if memory serves, either I didn't know it or it had not been announced that it was officially the final season. But it feels so much like a series finale. Like regardless yeah, oh, of whether yeah, or yeah. not there was an out, it absolutely feels like this is the end. And you know him commending Kelly as a leader and you referenced it earlier you're the jefe now um it's just it's some really powerful stuff and and even the way he looks at Brandy and uh and just taking he says I didn't write the line down but he says you know it's time for me to finally own up to who I really am you know and be, and be who I really am 
and uh, it's just, yeah, it's just great. And I love, he grabs the dagger, stares up at this very intense looking, although admittedly very obviously computer generated, but stares up at that gigantic Kandar demon and just the the classic Evil Dead line of come get some. Yeah. It's really, really great. I thought that, I mean, I don't think you were poo-pooing it, but I thought the design on the creature was really strong. Um, oh, no, absolutely. I, th- I, I think it's wonderfully effective. Uh, a quick line from the him in the chair scene that I thought was really great is he says, do you think I want this covered in blood 24 seven? Who the F would want that? I mean, it's just a really, right, you know, right. kind of really great swell for the character into who he kind of ultimately is, becomes, which is the, the sort of sacrificial hero. Um, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, it's worth mentioning. I love the deadite army in the sewer. I mean, that's a great, Kind of oh, they're great! Yeah. Yes, oh, they're great. And uh, getting back for the final episode of uh, some some kind of raw fear, some you know, some yes. actually really yeah. some scary shots yeah. in that, which which most of the show plays even the ski, the the fear factor for laughs. But there's some legitimately like, oh man, that is creepy. <laughs> it's really creepy. Um, before and I don't know what else you have on this episode completely but before we pivot too hard to the actual you know button of it um i did want to note like as someone who wasn't and um gosh i've seen bubba hotep we've covered bubba hotep as someone who even still wasn't 100 percent sure about my affection for bruce campbell going into this series like i really yeah. have gained a lot of affection for his him as a performer um through the series and just from sure. a, from a pure kind of comic standpoint like his reactions are always hysterical like I, <laughs> I, what i have here is when uh this is at the end when he's making his last stand when the demon is holding the tank and he looks through the periscope right into its face there's just this bit of physical comedy he does that's just hysterical yeah. it's this real like kind of you know, just total body spasm and, and whoa, whoa, <laughs> whoa kind of moment. It's really great. Sure. Oh, that's awesome. Now he's, he's an incredible perform, an incredibly gifted performer. Um, just f- you've mentioned several times on, as we've been covering the show, his commitment. As yeah. A performer. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. His commitment is just 100% complete to the, to the nines. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just, uh, I love Bruce Campbell. So I so I think that that it let, we should mention the way the series actually ends. I have a quick question for you, and then I have a uh, a theme. Uh, if if you wouldn't mind, that I'd like to kind of try to unpack for a minute. So there is an interpretive nature to the ending. Um, I feel like they ended this show in an incredibly smart way, in that if they had been picked up for a season four, it would have been not too difficult. To sort of pick up with the apocalyptic wasteland that, because because uh, Ash fights this Kandar demon in a big tank with a Kandarian dagger, and then he kind of fuzzily is packaged into a box and carried somewhere that we don't know because everything kind of explodes and falls down on him. He said goodbye to all of his friends. He wakes up ostensibly sometime in the future. Um, his hand has been sort of mechanically repaired, and there's this warrior girl who uh, has this big sort of tanker car that says "Hail to the King." And she's and, a cyborg. Then, yeah, she's a cyborg, and and they're gonna ride off and and fight evil because she says the dark ones are on the move. There is an element to it, you know, that could say like, well, maybe Ash just didn't survive that, and that's his sort of, 
you know, beyond, if you will. Um, or, yes, in a show like this, it's conceivable that he just got packaged for 50 to 100 years or whatever and then, you know, woke up and is now going to fight evil again. So I feel like it was really smart of them to end it like this where it's like, if this is all we get, this is very satisfying. If we have to do more, there are ways in which we can do more. So is there a question there? Uh, do you interpret? <laughs> sorry, do you interpret the ending as him having died, or as him having you know like that? I that there is. I don't. Um, no, I don't interpret it as him having died. I mean, I think they do so much in these ten episodes, shoehorning the Knights of Samaria in that it it's perfectly plausible and logical, and would make total sense to me that the Knights of Samaria are are following him or tracking him or keeping up with his whereabouts and so no when he gets sidelined and just you know that that that's who has awakened him awoken awakened him in the future awakened. and i mean like yeah. I, you know as a final button for me on the series and this should should make your little lackey heart sore um no. i mean i i got to the end and got that scene and i was like well dang it i want to <laughs> I want I want to see that show now. You know, I mean, it was a really it does make it my was heart a sore. it was a cool kind of moment of like now that that's kind of cool. What which isn't me saying the rest wasn't cool. It's like you know this real turn the dial, you know, a complete one eighty in terms of what the show is and could be. Because yeah. this is a thing I'll say positively about that show. Which if this if we were doing formal likes dislikes, they. It would be interesting to know what they viewed as immutable rules of the series, but there's mm -hmm. very little they, they that I would be able to identify as like they consider off limits and out of bounds in terms sure, of what right, they can right. do storytelling wise. So you 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 operate that sort of methodology in a very real world context that we're familiar with. It's cool, but then you completely change boxes it's not that you shake the box anymore now you've completely changed boxes and operate under right, that right under that sort of not really rule set now that now i'm on board and really interested and that's that's kind of a cool sure, idea so sure so yeah I, I i really enjoyed it i'm so glad this has been a long journey if you had not been satisfied <laughs> at the end, i would have felt really really bad yeah and i'm really i was but now seeing the ending you know like i felt pretty confident i was like there, there's strong stuff at this end and if you're if you're on the wavelength uh you can really kind of get behind it um so uh, surprising myself tremendously I ha I have a theme, Nathan. I have I have a Why does, why have a is that surprising you? There's some Well, you, there's some competent stuff at work under the surface in this show that, you know. And you're really is. And you're a you're a bright fellow, Reed. I don't know if you're just fishing. <laughs> I don't know if you're just fishing for compliments, but here, I'll I'm have I'm always you one. fishing for compliments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um okay, so I'm th this is going to require a bit of dot connecting. Um, and I'm going to do that as briskly as I possibly can without being, <laughs> there it is, uh, without being uh, confusing. So uh, I, I, I'm going to sort of draw a direct through line thematically to what uh, this show made me think of, particularly when watching The Medal of Man. Um, it made me think very specifically about the biblical character of David. And I'm going to tell you kind of more concretely why, um, specifically some moments in his life. So first, a little bit about Ash. Ash specifically says in that chair, you know, uh, why, you know, why me? You know, who would pick this life? All of these, all of these different things. 
and then is very much, you know, his dad had been saying he'd been running from everything his whole life, and um, and then he had been, uh, you know, sort of not willing to own the mantle of what was uh, sort of thrust upon him. And I also pinged that in much of season two, they carry his character through this constant back and forth of the ashy slashy model where his hometown peers uh, did not believe him and did not believe the fight that he's up against. And he's always struggled with that, that people don't take it seriously. They don't believe it. And you're talking with literal like sort of end of the world kind of life and death stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, Back pocket those elements of Ash's narrative, and I'm going to point out a few brief things about the narrative of uh, David from the Bible. So David from the Bible was a shepherd boy, the son of Jesse, uh, in, you know, born in Bethlehem, raised in Bethlehem. And he was a shepherd that the scriptures say um, he had fought previously, uh, like he had fought a lion to protect the sheep. He had fought a bear to protect the sheep. And then when the prophet came to his hometown and to his home and wanted to anoint a new king in Israel, uh, the brothers and even the father did not even call David in. They didn't even didn't even bring him over. Uh, and uh, in fact, the, the prophet had to eventually sort of ask them to go and get David uh, because David was the one that in that story the Lord wanted to anoint as king. So then you get to the battlefield, and in the battlefield, you get the Israelite army going up against the Philistine army, and the Philistines have a champion named Goliath. It's this famous David and Goliath story, and Goliath is this giant, and he's threatening, and he's co- and he's attacking the Israelite people verbally, attacking their faith, attacking their, uh, their heart, their courage, their uh, capacity to be warriors. He's attacking all of it. And he's threatening to undo it all. Well, then one day into camp on his father's behest walks David. And David is just carrying supplies to his brothers. He hears the challenge of Goliath and rises up to meet it. And everybody sort of writes him off. Everybody laughs him down. And then he he sort of comes in and says like, no. And there's specifically, the scripture specifically call out, he tells the king, when the king's like, why should I give you this challenge to go and fight Goliath? Goliath wanted a single champion from the Israelite army to come out and fight. Uh, king Saul was like, why should I make that champion you? And David specifically cited, and when I was taking care of my father's sheep, I killed a lion, I killed a bear. And if you'll permit me, Nathan, I, I don't want to take too much time here, but I'm going to explore for just a moment. And I want to visualize this. So visualizing this this idea of shepherd boy David out in the field, and dude, like, I've seen never, I mean, rarely, if ever, at maybe at a zoo, uh, seen a lion in person, um, but lions are intimidating creatures, bears even more so, uh, in their ferocity, in their uh, ability to just, <laughs> to just rend you limb from limb should they uh, attempt to do so. Um, and so they're they're vicious, gnarly creatures. Um, nat- they're they're it's perfectly natural, but as a predator, they would be quite imposing, is what I'm saying. Uh, you with me so far? I'm here. So David goes up against this, and he's out among the sheep. And here's what pinged me. 
I'm going to have to connect a couple of these threads. If I fail to do so, please point them out. He fights this lion, kills this lion, and then is just still there with the sheep. So he's by himself. Um, He fights this bear, kills this bear, and still is just there with the sheep. And the thought that struck me is thinking about these private battles that we have no witnesses other than, you know, just some other than the sheep, the proverbial sheep, no witnesses to how much that battle really took out of us. These private fights that we fight, um, whether it be for our homes, for our families, for our kids, for our spouses, for our sanity, uh, for our friends, uh, these private battles that we enter into, um, even sometimes personal battles, trying to overcome personal loss, personal uh, attacks, personal failings, um, these private battles that we enter into that nearly kill us. And when we defeat them, we look around and there's like, nobody cares. Nobody knows, nobody cares, nobody sees it. And to go through, uh, some of us perhaps go through a multitude of battles of that variety. Nobody knows, nobody cares, nobody knows how much it hurt to fight that thing. Nobody knows how much it nearly cost us to win that battle, and then we just move on with our life. And then um, when the time comes and something really big comes into place, we are not taken seriously or not believed um, in terms of like how we would recommend approaching something, the wisdom we may have gained, the experience we may have gained. Um, we are not uh, really taken seriously, uh, uh, trying to connect a dot here, the way Ash, when he constantly seems to be up against this perception from his father and from his hometown peers um, that, uh, that he's just a murderer as opposed to the savior of the humanity, as the show continues to call him. And my little connective thought as I was sitting here listening to Ash talk about what a failure he was and as I was sitting here talking about him finally owning who he was, I had this notion that struck me as somewhat uh, encouraging and uh, powerful. I am hoping that I'm able to articulate it in a way that will that will do the same thing or at least a similar thing. This notion of these private battles that almost destroy us, that nobody else has window to, but that they are in their way preparing us for the the opportunity at which we might be able to step in and do someone else some good or do some uh, some larger group of people some other good. And in in ways that we can sometimes despise the private battles, in ways that we can sometimes... Um, just rail against how hard some days can be, but to try to take some hope in that, yeah, I don't know why it picked you. You know, this is what Brandy sort of says back to Ash when she's trying to smack some sense into him. I don't I don't know why you're the guy. I don't know why it's you, but it is you. You can do this, so you're going to go and do this. And there was just something that began to bubble up in me about this idea of like, yeah, man, some of us fight... Uh, day in, day out, in ways that we feel like are really going to be the end of us. And to try to look at that as this is uh, sort of preparing and shaping us to perhaps do someone else some good when somebody else is facing their own version of a Goliath, uh, or their own version of uh, a terror that threatens to just upend and be the end 
of them, uh, maybe we will in that moment be able to look back and, hey, I've gone through those private battles. I've gone through something similar. Uh, perhaps life has been preparing me to speak a word into this situation, to attack this particular situation, to provide some encouragement, or even just to provide some companionship or some comfort in the midst of it because I have been through this other uh, private thing. Um, and so as I was thinking about Ash just sort of staring down all of these times that he's been solo through these encounters with the dead. Um, but then when the time came and the Kandar demon is destroying the town and the military can't do anything, uh, there's and, and the Kandar demon wants to test the metal of man, Ash, Ash is there, and Ash can do something about it. And uh, I don't know. I, I don't feel like it's... I feel like the connecting points might be viewed as a stretch by some people, but it, it's, it's really what bubbled up in my thought processes and in my heart when I was watching... Uh, this show. So um, I don't know how adequately I connected those dots, but your thoughts. <laughs> you're you're a hell of a guy, Reed Lackey. <laughs> R, R, R Reed Lackey. Um, <laughs> so in your analogy, Ash is Goliath? I'm just kidding. No. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> right. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I totally see that. I think that if there's any particular takeaway that is at least in my comprehension of what you're articulating most valuable it would be the notion of the the private battles equipping us for a more high stakes right sort of right sort of challenge um and, yeah. and maybe not even high stakes challenge though although possibly but more just like visible challenge you know that we would have fled from or or rejected and may still resent but that these these private wins these private victories and losses have fed into a capacity that that we would not have had otherwise i mean i, I you know right i mean i right. think that's a i think that's i don't know how universal that is but it, it feels a bit kind of hero's journey-ish right you know just as the, sure of course the um the path that we might not have chosen uh sure it kind of chooses us by virtue of circumstance um and honestly like i've always thought a more interesting narrative story is the one who chooses and embraces a heroic path in light of circumstance than the one who is destined that's one of the few threads about the whole franchise i don't love is just this sort of the the hero of destiny idea because right. just pers just the personally one. yeah just personally to me there's something far more interesting about the person who takes up the mantle to embrace the challenge not because they are prophesied to do so or destined to do so but but because they are equipped and ready because life has done that for them you know right uh, right I think that's a yeah. much more compelling story yeah I and. It like because ultimately, really I'm sorry to cut you off. Ultimately, the show, no. the show kind of doesn't care about the prophesied stuff, right? Like, no, no, it's more, no. it's kind of set dressing that kind of propels a little bit, but ultimately, Ash's choices are are born of his own experience and you know, kind of personal responsibility in the end. 
Right. Oh, exactly. And yeah, the only sort of through line that that prophesied one thing can can provide is maybe he was the one always destined to take down that Kandar demon, as it were, or whatever. But um, but yeah, I, I really dig what you're saying about that. There's that actual pivot that he makes toward the end. You know, I'm doing this for all of you, he says to his friends, and that that notion i forget and i didn't write down the line but that sheriff guy is like no you're you're the demon killer this is what you do so there's a big demon go go do that <laughs> you know like go do that thing and uh and and i don't know it just i don't want to i don't want to talk it to death um you know for your sake or our listeners but it really did it really did start the wheels turning um uh, about this i mean it's you know, it's evil and it's dead, man. And the the you know the deadites are just kind of silly, monstrous fun. But Ash, we've joked before, is like just he's really good at killing them. He's right. just really, really good at getting them out of the way. And so some of what he's saying in his little uh, you know partial breakdowns of like you know why why am I the guy who would choose you ref you called it out earlier who would choose this life to be covered in blood all this time like who would who would pick that and there was, I don't know, there was something in that notion of looking at the the struggles that you've carried in your life, and it would be so easy to look and be like, man, why don't I have the life that doesn't have all of these struggles? Why right. don't I have the life yeah. that is not yeah. fighting these battles? Why don't I have... Why don't I have the uh, life that doesn't have me yelling, I'm in the butt, for contextual <laughs> reasons? I mean, that's a legitimate question, you know? That, is, that anybody would ask, right. given the chance. <laughs> so... But it's like, you know, we it would be really easy, uh, maybe this is a bit too uh, bumper stickery, but it would be really easy to say like, yeah, I just, uh, you know, it's not fair that these struggles came to me. It's not fair that this fight is my fight, but I am in it. I'm in the butt. <laughs> um, I, but, you know, like I'm in the, I'm in the midst of this fight and, and, and it's like, there is a there is a way that we could actively choose to say, and I don't know, maybe this is related to some of, you know, like current things going on in my life of just, you know, stresses at work and, and stresses in life and trying to maintain perspective and stuff like that, where you just say, instead of waking up and going like, why is this not all easier? And why is this not all different? Maybe waking up and going, this, this is the fight at hand. This is, this is what's here and... Maybe taking some trust that I will I will beat this one and then you know I'll fight this next one and then when something bigger comes along, then uh, maybe you will be unexpectedly w- far more prepared to do more good for the people around you or to do more good for something greater and higher stakes than you ever would have been had you not been put through those those myriad. Uh, smaller private battles. Yeah, and to put a, a slightly high-minded button on it, it's like, you know, when you're like, I wish it would have not happened to me. You just say, well, so do all who live to see such times. But that is that is not <laughs> for us to decide. All we have to decide, point. Reed, is what to do with the time that is given to us. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, man, I, I don't know, man. I'm, I, that's what I had. That's what I've got. You, you good. You want, you want to 
counter? You want to? I why would I counter? Yes, and? I, I'm. I, I am. I, I am a fan of Ash versus Evil Dead. I dig. <laughs> it is. It is. At least in my humble estimation, groovy, baby. I. That's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> That, I heard that was I funny. heard you catch your breath there. Uh, you know, I, 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 I did. <laughs> I did. <laughs> Took my breath away. All right, my friend. Uh, do you want to go to wind us all down and go to the fog meter for good old Ash versus Evil Dead? I think we should do this just as the series as a whole, not right. season by You think season. like episode by episode? Oh my gosh, that would be crazy. Um, we'd really be in the butt then. Um, so, so let's let's go ahead. We we rate these all Ooh. on a very specific measurement according to the title of our show, Fear and God. We rate the scares, the fear factor, and we rate the substance, which we refer to as the God meter. So um, I'm going to go first on fear, and I'm going to say Ash versus Evil Dead as a whole. Um, again, most of the scares are played for laughs, but there are some legitimate creepy imagery, some great character and monstrous designs, um, I am, I'm going to give this a seven for the fear factor. Cool. I think this is, uh, yeah, it, it's got a lot to offer. Yes. And it, it's one of those things where I almost think you're normalizing your, your, um, that you normalize to it in the watching, uh, betrays what is actually some actual, you know, kind of scare elements and, and what you're describing in terms of production design. Yeah. I mean, I don't. Uh, seven is a hair high for me, so I'm going to go with a six, but the creature design is fantastic. When it pivots into scary, it is scary. Like, I mean, it knows. Sure. Oh, it, yeah. It, know, yeah. it knows its lane and, and, and you know, drives that delta in it rather well. Oh, it does, baby. Um, what would you give it for the substance meter? Um, the God meter. I think overall, substance-wise, uh, what, what you know, kind of, kind of brings the curve up a little bit is going to be that latter kind of half of season three ish. But, right. um, I would say, uh, four feels too harsh. So maybe five. Okay. Uh, the irony there is that's exactly what I was going to give it is I was going to give it a five for, uh, for the God meters. Cause I feel like it's, yes. Uh, unlike the films, which feel in your words, zanier, uh, they're not about nothing. Uh, I mean, we covered the first, uh, you know, Evil Dead. Um, but uh, I do feel like, uh, particularly in the last half of season three, they start to really give some character growth to Ash. They really begin to start to scratch at some things, even if accidentally. So five for me as well. Uh, well, I got to say, our Reed Lackey, my <laughs> demon slayer, deadite killer, my friend, my hero, my jefe. That means that Ash versus Evil Dead, the star series, gets a six out of ten on the fog Ta-da! meter, which is that's awesome. pretty uh pretty stout there. That's that's fantastic. I'm very very happy with that. Um, I have to ask you this question, Nathan. Okay. This is an important question to me, given the time we've spent together on this mm-hmm. would you recommend the stars original series ash versus evil dead um that's that's a good question reed um <laughs> with many qualifiers 
<laughs> but yes, I would. If you so that that delights me. Um, if you can, my my sort of blanket qualifier is if you can handle that kind of content. Like if you can handle the the uh you know language gore. Uh, if 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 that does not bother you, then this is an easy recommend for me. Um, I feel like, and as this is actively what I did for you and why we talked about it for nine weeks on the show, is because even for people who are kind of meh on the films, I would still say you it might be worth giving Ash vs. Evil Dead a chance because there's a lot to it. It It fits that nice rhythm of things that the sh- that the films themselves never quite were able to uh to pack the punch for and uh, and i i love it i love it so much well cool there you go so nathan read so next week we're going to be doing something a little special we're doing an early quarterly king ladies and gentlemen um it's a bit different from the other quarterly kings that we have done uh it's pretty special um it's actually going to be since you only have a week to talk about it or to to prepare for it um we are actually going to be we've uh, gotten together all of our pod bros friends and we are going to be discussing on writing uh, it's a very, very special conversation. We think you're really going to enjoy it. Following that interlude, we're going to be tagging in on a few of our favorite films from 2018, something that normally we might have done a little bit closer to the new year, but uh, we're going to finally get to some of those right now, and uh, I'm very, very excited. Do you, should we tell them what films we're covering? It's going to be all the Meg all the time. Three episodes of the Meg, yeah, everybody. Just, yeah. just get, just get ready. Just buckle up. And so it's well, it's because it's a big fish. So it is. It's a, a big, to, It's a giant fish. There's a, a lot. It's to bite a, off. it's a megalodon. I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah. Let's let's tell them what the three movies are. Okay, so we're gonna be covering first up. We're gonna be covering Annihilation. Then we're gonna be diving into The Endless which is a, an understated and uh, I feel underseen and underappreciated film. So check it all out. It's on Netflix right now. And we're going to wrap up that little trio with ugh, Hereditary. So, um, yes, we've got some exciting things coming up for you. We hope you've enjoyed this Funny or Die series. Nathan, thank you. Reed, thank, thank you, buddy. You. A long time thank coming. You for all of this. Yeah, it's great. It's thank, It's been fun. Thank you. Thank you for being just... A consummate gentleman, you know? <laughs> Guys, we will see you next week on On Writing, and then we will be trekking through some 2018 films. Have a great week. Groovy, baby. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. You can follow us on Twitter at The Fear of God. You can like and follow us on Facebook or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. You can follow us on Instagram at Fear of God Podcast. Go to morethanonelesson.com to leave a comment on this post or any of the other official episode posts. Email us at fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. Our theme music was composed by Lee Wright and Reed Lackey. Our podcast art was crafted by Jacob Hunt of jacobhuntcomics.com. Merchandise for the show can be found at tpublic.com. Just search The Fear of God Podcast, all one word. And last but not least, if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating or a review.
Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Hi, everybody. <laughs>